Good morning. Let's go ahead and find our seats and get so we'll start into our class. I hope you have had a good week and we are here to get into God's word and and, uh, recharge ourselves, renew ourselves. So uh, Sunday morning Bible class, we are in James and uh, we'll be mostly in chapter 3. And then going into four, but I'm going to back up a little bit. One of the hardest parts of, of teaching a class is knowing how much to put in there. Sometimes there's so much information that you've got to leave stuff out just to, to get to the main points. And I've told you this before, but I hate leaving verses out. I believe they all lead into one another. It's all context. And every word of that is important. And so last week, I actually kind of just very much skimmed through the first two verses of chapter uh, three. And so I'm going back to those today. All right. So that's where we're going to pick up. So so even before that, in chapter two, James chapter two, uh, at the very end of the chapter, we have we talked about balance. Now, the, the last half of the chapter was about your faith and your works are together. They are not separate, they're together, and you have to find your balance in that every day, in your work life, in your personal life, in your spiritual life. You have to find that balance, okay? If it's unbalanced, then it's really not right before God. Faith and works together. Now, going into chapter 3, there was a reason he started into that, because if, if you're telling somebody, well, you need to increase your faith, or you need to increase your work, well, a lot of us tend to, to go towards work. We want to serve. You know, we're really good at the physical stuff. So how would we do that? Well, apparently at that time, uh, long ago, to the people that James is writing this letter to, remember it's a letter to them, uh, they are having problems. And one of those problems has to do with teachers. So, and and... There was quarrel among them. There was rivalry. And so a lot of people were going into teaching because I can, I can increase my service by teaching. Okay, and he's saying, okay, now there's a problem here, and we're, we've got to address that. And that's the, the attitude of chapter 3 going in, that he's, he's talking to the, the teachers, but he's also talking to everybody. Now, let's get this straight. He's going to talk about the teachers, but he's talking to everybody. Why is he talking to everybody? Because actually, we are all teachers. As Christians, you teach every day. Now, you may not realize that, but your life as an example is teaching somebody. You may be a a father, a mother, a brother or sister, a friend, a co-worker, but somebody is looking at you. Maybe you're a mentor to somebody. Maybe you're helping them to understand things about life. Okay? And your Christian values should be showing in that in everything you do. Therefore, you are a teacher also. So we'll just accept that, all right? All right. So, going into uh, chapter 3. He's saying, do not become teachers in large numbers, my brothers. Oh, you know what? Let's put that on there. Do not become teachers in large numbers, my brothers, since you know that we who are teachers will incur a stricter judgment. So stopping there, 
At that, that time, if you remember that on many occasions they called Jesus rabbi, teacher. Okay? The position of teacher was, was ex- very much respected. All right? Um, and, and I got to venture probably even more respected than it is today, unfortunately. Our teachers are some of the hardest working people, uh, teaching our children, uh, our classes and everything. But a lot of times they, they get the least amount of, of respect in that. Uh, but they, they do it out of love. So, he goes on, and he says, you'll incur a stricter judgment. So those in a position of responsibility, teachers, and it goes on with elders, deacons, ministry leaders, all of those, uh, have a responsibility. And we're going to see this going into the next verses of what we talked about last week. I'm not going to do that lesson again. But it's what you say and do. As a teacher, you're using your tongue. You are bringing even... Here, bringing God's word to somebody. You're trying your best to explain it. As people, we fail. We are not perfect. We say things wrong. We do things wrong. Okay? So we, we give each other a little break there, all right? Give me a break. But knowing we're not perfect, we try our best. And he's saying, you are in, going to incur a stricter judgment because you are taking the responsibility of teaching God's word. You know, so you are in in effect almost like speaking on behalf of God. You're his mouthpiece, all right? And so you have to try to get it right. Verse 2, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to rein in the whole body as well. So this is where he segues into talking about the tongue. Just like we we talked about last week, my tongue is on fire. That tongue can do so much damage. You know, that little member of our body, and we talked about that in length last week. Um, Proverbs 12, verse 18. I don't have it in a slide, but Proverbs 12, 18, there's, it says, There is one who speaks rashly like the thrusts of a sword. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. What a, a comparison of total opposites to where you are either hurting somebody or you are healing somebody. Now, this is from Proverbs, and as we've brought before, James is very comparable to Proverbs. A lot of what he says and brings to us relates directly to Proverbs. He does it more as a sermon uh, in his letter, he's just putting the bullet points out there, one after another. This is what you got to do. And that's why we say that James is a very good guidebook for us as Christians to follow in our everyday lives. And then in Proverbs 15, verses 1 through 4, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge pleasant, But the mouth of fools spouts foolishness. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. A soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in it crushes the spirit. Now these are just a, that's just two verses that I brought forward, not even including James. There are so many other verses talking about the tongue and the good and the bad that it can do. 
So if he talks about it so much, then how important is it in our life? What do you do with your tongue each and every day? What words do you spout, whether in joy or in anger? Those are things that in uh, verses 3 through 12, he talks about bridling that tongue, using that tongue, controlling it. Do we control it? Well, we must. We must control that tongue. All right, so we are going to move to verse 13. We've covered uh, 3 through 12 last week. If you need a refresher there, go on the archives and look through that. Read it for yourself. Always read, read, read. All right, so 13. We're going to read the verses through first, and then we'll get into some discussion. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial, free of hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So, oh, okay, we're going back here. Starting there in, in 13. What is wisdom? Do you have wisdom? Do you like to consider yourself as wise? Well, you know, <laughs> I hate to even say this, but, you know, in, in my late 20s, maybe even my early 30s, I thought, oh, yeah, I, I've got wisdom. Okay, that was just immaturity talking there. That was just me being stupid. <laughs> and I'm sure we all go there, don't we? At some point we think, yeah, I'm wise. But as you get much older, what really is wisdom? Well, it's a combination of experience, knowledge, and good judgment. Now, how do you get those things? You fall down. You make bad choices. You do wrong things. And you pick yourself up and you learn from them. What should I have done? Okay, that was terrible. I should have, I should have done this, or I should have done that, or I could have done that better. You know, or maybe I need to, to learn something else about this. You know, you don't just go into even parenting. You don't just go in and got the manual right there and go, okay, I got this. No, I'm, I'm, I, many times I feel sorry for my firstborn because I made so many mistakes on that. And then the second one, you know, a little bit better. And by the third one, not perfect. <laughs> But we learn from those experiences. And, and what happens during that time? We get older. You know, there are, we make so many mistakes. We learn so much from them. And hopefully as Christians, we are also looking to God's word. We're learning from God's word about what we should be doing each and every day. And correcting ourselves because it tells us so many times we are not a perfect people. 
Alright, we're gonna make those mistakes and we're gonna make some really awful mistakes. And some of those mistakes are gonna take years for maybe us to wake up and, you know, might take a decade. <laughs> Let's just be honest. Sometimes we can just be mired in that mud for so long that we seem like we're not going to get out. But you know what happens? When we apply God's word to us, we get out of that mud. We start learning. We look back at the mistakes, not to take them on again, but to go, okay, I don't want to do that. That's what I don't want. All right? I can do better. And, and that's where we start gaining wisdom. We're learning from our mistakes. And at that same time, I hope that as we're learning from our mistakes, that we're actually helping others not to make those mistakes. You know, there's been a time in my life that was, it was just awful. But because of God, I got through it. And in turn, you know, I would see a, a brother or sister going through maybe that same thing, and I'd go, whoa, whoa, let me, let me help you. Let me share something with you that's personal. But I'm only I'm sharing this because I don't want you to get into the same trap that I got into. Now, I encourage you to look around within the church family or maybe even outside the church in the world. If you see somebody falling into those same pitfalls, help them. Use your experience, your knowledge, your wisdom... To help them. And as young people, I would even say, don't think that you're there. Don't think that you got it all figured out. You know, that's that's one of our pitfalls. We all do that. You know, but it's going to take some time. Um, all right, so we'll go on here. So, in 14 there, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart. Now, remember, he's talking to to teachers specifically, but to all of us, because we're all in that same boat. Do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. So there was a, a rivalry going on there. And those attitudes that they were, were showing, arrogance, I know it all. I'm a better teacher than them. I've got it down pat. But in the same way, in, in that that attitude they're lying to themselves they're not examining themselves they're just puffing themselves up now we can all be guilty of that we can all think that we got it together i know exactly i'm right i'm always right no i'm not (laughs) i am not so this wisdom he's talking about in verse 15 this wisdom okay Look at their quotes, because that's what it is. This wisdom that they think they have is only connected to jealousy, selfish ambition, and arrogant attitude and denial. Is that how you want to be seen? Do you want to be seen by others in, in that respect? I don't think so. I don't think anybody wants that. But sometimes we can turn a blind eye to everything else and just think about myself, you know. I'm good. No, no, I'm not good. I'm great. Okay? When we start going down that path, we are putting on a veil of denial there and not examining ourselves. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, 
There is disorder in every evil thing. Now think about your own life. When, when sin comes into your life, all right, think back. Think back into those experiences. What happens? Things just kind of get out of control. You know, and sometimes even whenever we, we let that one little sin in, it can snowball, can't it? It can just get bigger and bigger. And we get more and more dirt, muds, and stains all over us. But it was just a little sin. Oh, no, no. Once, once you've cracked that door open and, and let Satan get in there and tempt us, and we just go, yeah, I'll take that. Boy, it just gets worse. And your life, your spiritual life can get out of control. I mean, it gets out of control immediately with that. But your everyday life can get out of control too because you're being guided by wrong experiences. But the wisdom from above, okay, now he is starting, he says, okay, now we're going to separate this. I need you to see the difference. For the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial, free of hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I had a family member that, oh, he, he was young. Let's, let's put it that. Very, very young. But very godly. He was a Christian first. And he wanted to teach everybody. He wanted to, if, if he met you, he wanted to make sure that he, he told you something about Christ. But the way he did it was in an argument. If you didn't agree with him, then he'd start arguing the point and debating it. And, and unfortunately, many people just turned away and went, nah, I'm not listening to this. There's nothing in these verses right here that talk about debating or arguing. And, and I think the word he uses a lot there is peace. Do you have peace when you are talking to others? When the words come out of your mouth, are they soothing or are they a jab from a sword? Saying, hey, hey, I'm right. I'm right. Listen to me. You know, he, he says there, first, they're pure. Well, where does that purity come from? God. God's word. Okay, we've got to be connected directly to that. Then peace-loving. Okay, peace. Love peace. I love peace. I hate conflict. And, and it doesn't matter where it's in a relationship or work. I hate conflict. Now, some of us will go to lengths to avoid conflict. That's not the right way to do that either in a, in a relationship. But talking about them, bringing peace to it, being gentle, gentle with each other. Sometimes we just need to act like somebody's going to break because I'm... You know, if I take that sword out and start cutting away, then I'm not being gentle, am I? All right? our, our words can hurt so much. And I'm sure in your experiences in life, you've been hurt by what somebody said. It, it, maybe a spouse, maybe, maybe even your children, or, or friends, or co-workers. And sometimes, you know, we, they hurt enough we can display, you know, that we're hurt. And maybe they realize it, or maybe we just absorb it, 
you know, still put on that smile. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, it's okay. I can take it. Okay. But what are we doing to other people? You know, I understand that the world doesn't understand these things. But I should be showing them each and every day in my life. Not perfect. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I'm ready to just whip out that sword and start protecting myself. Not the right thing to do. And I've got to make a change about that. Reasonable. Be reasonable. You can't expect things from people that are not reasonable. And, and sometimes my standards on things are not reasonable for you. And maybe things, your standard in your life is not reasonable for somebody else. Okay, our expectations. Because so many times our expectations and what we hold to as a standard for us leads into judgment. And then we've just tripped into another stumbling block, haven't we? It just goes on. Okay, full of mercy. Let your wisdom be full of mercy and good fruits. Mercy. Mercy is connected with forgiveness. Give them a break. Give everybody a break. You know, don't... If, if they're saying something or, or hurting you, just go, you know what, maybe that person has had really bad day. You know, and, and this is the way they're showing it. Okay. Think of it in that attitude for yourself. They've had a really bad day. They've been hurt. Maybe they're not feeling good. You know, maybe an old injury has flared up and they're just in pain. Because a lot of times, you know, what happens when a, a dog gets hurt and you rush up to it, it's likely to bite you because it's going to protect itself. We as humans do the same thing. When we're hurting, so many times we will lash out first. All right? And we've got to remember that. Now, I, I, in just this short time frame, I've, I've laid so much on you from these verses. Saying, you need to do this every day. Well, we forget, don't we? We forget these things. And that's why we need to get into God's Word so often. And just remind ourselves. We need reminders. We need those post-it notes for ourselves every day. Okay, okay. Remember, Ken. Have mercy today. You know, think with your wisdom. Give other people a break. We have to get in God's word. Good fruits, impartial, free of hypocrisy, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Fruit, what is your fruit? You know, I won't say some of us are apples and some of us are pears and some of us are just bananas. But what do you produce in your life? As a teacher, as a mentor, as somebody that's helping out somebody, what do you produce? Is it positive? Is it negative? Remember, we've talked about positivity, and I've, I've asked you to spread that through the week. Try. Okay? That fruit. If I take a tree, and, and sometimes I water it, Sometimes I maybe drip a little bit of antifreeze on it, you know, and then I'll put some salt over here, you know. But then I'll go back and water it, and, and maybe, oh, there's some fertilizer, I'll throw that on. What's going to happen to that plant? Am I doing the best for it? No. Okay? But if I'm positive, 
if I feed it, if I water it, if I keep the terrible poisons away from it, you know, then I am producing something. And that's what we have to do in our life. That's what hopefully we do each day. But again, we're not perfect. We fall down. We fail. And you get back up and you try again. And one of the best things about that is being able to say sorry. Because if I've hurt you, I want to, I, I hope I will know that. You know, I hope I have not denied self-examination and, and just say, oh, well, that's their problem. Because I would like to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I can, I can do that. And even what's more important is I can use those very same words to tell God, I'm sorry. I failed. But, and I know that he gives me his forgiveness, and I pick myself back up, and I move on, and I learn from the experience, and I hope not to repeat that again. All right. We are going to move into chapter 4. And he continues on talking to the teachers, you know, but again, it applies to us. Every bit of it applies to us in our life. Chapter 4. All right. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is the source not your pleasures that wage war in your body's parts? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder, and you are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you may spend what you request on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says to no purpose, he jealously desires the spirit whom he has made to dwell in us? But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God, but resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and he will come close to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord. So as we get into these verses, he's still talking to teachers and us. Boy, they must really be having a problem among the teachers at that time. You know, he's really using some strong language in here. I mean, you can, if you really want a, a word picture there, it's like he's, he's taking a switch and he's going after him. He's just saying, no, this is not right. So as we get into this, let's let's examine a few things, just so we understand what he's saying, okay? So we know there's conflict there. We know there's quarreling. There's rivalry. You know, it's it's not a pretty situation. And he's talking to somebody that is is not there in the city with them. They're, They're spread out. 
Remember, this is the time during some of the persecution. Christians had spread out. So he's talking to the Jewish Christians, and he's telling he's going to be reminding them of Old Testament law as well. When he brings Proverbs in there, he's, he's reminding them of that, of what they've studied before. And so in verse 2, you lust. Okay, now he's not talking about sexual lust there. But he's invoking a very strong emotion. It's a very strong word, lust. And then he connects that. And do not have, so you commit murder. Wow, those are some pretty strong. They must really be getting the swords and and knives out and going at each other, right? No, this is just everyday life that he's talking about. So in lust there, he's just talking about just a very strong desire. He wants you to, to understand that, how strong it is. And then he says, so you commit murder. Well, they uh, most likely are not committing murder, okay? It is a Christian family there. They're not committing murder. But he wants you to get that picture in your mind. And it's a reference all the way back to the Sermon on the Mount. And so, if you want to turn with me, I'll, I'll read it. I don't have it on here. But Matthew 5, Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 22. The Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is speaking to a large group. And he's, he's telling them, you know, do this. Don't do that. This is how you should live. And he says... You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not murder, and whoever commits murder shall be answerable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be answerable to the court, and whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be answerable to the supreme court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. If he's referencing all the way back to the Sermon on the Mount, how strong is he trying to tell them, hey, what you're doing is wrong, and you are in danger. Your words are putting you in danger of fiery hell. Okay? So, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was talking to followers, people who just came to hear him. They most most likely didn't really know the old law like the scholars did. You know, they're just everyday people going about their lives, maybe trying to be good people. You know, and and so in that respect, Jesus was telling them, okay, you know about courts, and you know about the higher court. You know, he's not even at that point even talking about, to them, he's not talking about heaven and before God. But these Jewish Christians will understand that, that on Judgment Day, they are going to be before the court of God, just as we are. Everything we do on earth here is, is in God's sight. We saw that in earlier verses. God sees everything. And we are accountable for every little bit. You know, can we get away with that little sin? You know, no, we'll surely not get away with those big sins. But that little sin, it's not a problem. No, we've studied in, in the past verses that they're all weighed equally. 
Okay, so that's, we've got to do that every day. You know, those little things that we let slip, the little lies, the little white lies, the little, oh, nobody will see this, or, or oh, that, that law doesn't really pertain to me. All those things add up, and, and i got to say, I know I'm guilty of them, and, and I have no doubt that you are too, because as my brothers and sisters, we're all in this together. You know, we do those little things. We just got to say, yeah, I do, okay, and say, I'm sorry, because we're going to be held before God on that, and he's reminding of this, but he's reminding them in strong language of lust and murder that what they're doing is horrible, and, and sometimes that's what it takes for us to, to wake up to what we're doing in our, our life, you know, because we, we, we weigh things, don't we? We prioritize things, and that may be how we make a decision, but even in our actions, well, this isn't going to impact anybody, so it's not so bad. You know, oh, but what I did here just hurt somebody, so I've got to fix that. And he's saying, all of that matters. Everything you do in your daily life matters to God. I lost my place there. And you are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive. Now, I want to back up there. You do not ask. If you remember all the way before we talked about prayer, ask God. And he's reminding them that this communication is ongoing. You do not have because you do not ask. All right. Well, then I'll start asking. Well, he addresses that in the next verse. You ask and do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you may spend what you request on your pleasures. Wrong motives. How many times do we have a wrong motive even ourselves? That attitude, wrong motive, attitude. What is your attitude throughout the day? Okay, so many times we can let those negative things in and our attitude just goes down, doesn't it? And Or just, or remember when we're hurting? When we're hurting, so many times we can lash out, we can have a bad attitude. Okay, he's saying that that's us too. That just that attitude can be wrong. I would ask, I, I hope this week, I'm going to give you another challenge here. This week, work on your attitude. Now, what I want you to do is a couple of times through the day, just stop and say, what's my attitude at this moment? At this moment, what's my attitude? And just do a self-check. Is it, is it good? Carry on. Go forth. But... Maybe it's slipping a little bit. Okay, I got I got to bolster myself up, strengthen myself. You know, maybe even get your phone out or your Bible, read a few verses, get some positivity from God's Word. Find a friend. Say, hey, I'm having a little trouble here. Can you give me some encouragement? Or this is the problem I'm having. You know, what should I do? Lean on somebody. Lean on God first, always. 
But you got brothers and sisters here, family that is always ready. You know, I've got a shoulder. You know, if you want to cry on it, that's fine too. I don't mind getting a little bit wet. You know, because I'm there for you. And I'll try and help you through this. But we want that positivity. So through the day, several times, your challenge is to check your attitude. Just stop for a second, take a step back, breathe for 10, go, okay, what am I thinking here? What can I change? All right. That, I'm going to talk here a little bit more because it's so important. Attitude. Attitude will make or break you. It will make or break your spiritual life. All right? Just a bad attitude is going to snowball. It's going to snowball until you stop it. And sometimes, whether it's physically or mentally, you will come up up against a wall and have to confront that attitude. Or maybe, hopefully, somebody will do it for you and say, hey, quit with that attitude. Stop. You know, um, I appreciate my wife when she does that. Maybe at the moment I'm a little grumpy, but it's the right thing. Because so many times she, she knows what gears are going in my head, what I'm doing and how I'm acting, and maybe I'm even biting at her. And she goes, whoa, stop right there. You know that's not right. And that's all, I've, all it takes. goes, yeah, I know. I know I'm being wrong. And I can pick myself up, learn from the experience, and go on. Okay. So, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Adulteresses. He's using another strong word there to invoke a feeling. Okay? He's not referring to adulteresses specific. He's referring to moral depravity. Okay? No, those are big words right there. Moral depravity. That should give you a picture of something is awful here. And, and I need to change that. So it, it's equivalent to saying, you awful person. I mean, that's, a, that's actually a nice way of saying it, actually. You awful person. You adulteresses. You are doing something wrong. And he's trying to wake these people up. And we should heed his words as well. Now, friendship with the world. Now, we... we Go out in the world, we go grocery shopping, we travel, we play, we go to work. We're surrounded so often by non-Christians or those that proclaim to be a Christian but don't follow it too well or those that just say, eh, yeah, I believe there's a God, but, you know, I'm fine. And then a lot of those that say, nah, there's nothing out there. All of those things are influencing us every day. How are they influencing you? How are you allowing them to influence you? Are you listening to them? Are you rebuffing them? Are you trying to help them? How are they changing your life every day? Because as we know, even talking about negativity, when you get all that negative coming in, it weighs you down because we'll carry it on our shoulders 
you know, we're just as liable when that weight gets too great, we're going to fall down. And what I mean by that is we're going to sin. All those temptations are out there. But every time we put on the world, we are being hostile to God because the two do not coexist. God cannot look on evil. And if we're wearing a cloak of evil, of sin, then I just hid myself from God's sight. Do I really want to do that? I hope not. I hope not. But when we say we're sorry and we repent, we're throwing off that cloak and say, God, I'm here, I'm here. And God's saying, I see you. And that's what I want every time. All right. Let's keep going here. Um, Not quite done. (laughs) Therefore, whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says to no purpose, he jealously desires the spirit whom he has made to dwell in us? I want to just talk about there. God made that soul that's in you. Okay? Each and every one of us has a soul, and he wants it back. He wants to bring it right back home. He just put it in us to live on this earth and to know him and understand him. But when we've got that that garment of sin on and he can't see us, then we're hiding that soul as well. Now, part of our job as Christians is to be an example for everybody of what a Christian is, of what a child of God is, to show that and bring more in. In some way or form, whether you're going out teaching a missionary, uh, anything that is being an example for God to others. All right? We're trying to let that light shine because we're just holding that soul here. Because on that judgment day, hopefully, prayerfully, that soul is going right back home with God. And he wants every one of them back. And the sad part there is he knows that not every one of them is going to come home. Some of them are going to be lost to the fiery hell, to Satan. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So right there and talking specifically to the teachers and to us, you know, we've already seen that they have an attitude of of being arrogant, proud, I'm right, I'm the best. There's rivalry there. They're competing with each other. That's just an awful situation, isn't it? I, I just, that's horrible. So right there, he's he's given us another, you know, picture of opposites. God's opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So that verse alone just says, which are you? Are you among the proud, the arrogant, the lost? Or are you among the humble that he has given his grace to? All right. Humble is so understated, you know. We think of the lowly, the meek, the poor. 
humble should be each and every one of us because we have to submit to God. Peter learned that the hard way when Jesus wanted to wash his feet. And he said, no, you're not washing my feet. And Jesus told him, if I don't wash your feet, you are not going to be entering heaven. Okay. And then finally in that dialogue, it clicked. And Peter got it that this is about service to others. And if I don't serve, then I'm going to fail and not be in heaven. And then at that point, what did he say? Oh, wash all of me. Okay, I need it everywhere. Just scrub me down. All right, carry it a little too far. That's okay. But he had to submit. First off, in that very moment, at that time, he had to submit to Jesus washing his feet. All right, that, that physical act, he had to submit. So... We're going to stop right there. I want you to get that picture in your mind of submitting to somebody of higher authority, being humble. All right, we'll pick up there and continue on next week. Thank you very much. Be sure and read for next week. Just continue on into four and five.